Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. Let's do something fun real quick. I have no idea whether he's listening or not, but uh, in just a minute, let's everybody tell Tony we miss him. So at the count of three, everybody say, we miss you, Tony. One, two, three. We miss you, Tony. I have no idea whether he's listening or not, but maybe he is. He's down to about, uh, what, nine, ten days, something like that, so he's getting towards the end, so I know he's getting excited and he's looking forward to it. Um, so just keep praying for him as he's uh, on his way down. So last week we started a conversation uh, about what to do when God shows up. And again, I, I find that, that there's lots and lots of people who cry out to God. They ask God, God, show up, but few of them actually expect him to do so. And an even smaller number of people uh, are really ready to, to hear and to observe and to act when God answers their prayer or their plea. So last week, we, we started by uh, looking at this eight-year-old king who shifted from his family's past relationship with God. He sought him out. He followed after him. Remember what was written there in uh, 2 Kings about King Josiah? 2 Kings 23, 25. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there's never been a king like him since. Man, that is a legacy, his father and grandfather were remembered for evil and for bad. Um, and in one generation, Josiah reached out to God and responded when God showed up. Man, God can change your legacy when you have a soft heart that seeks him and is ready to respond when he shows up. So the big idea from last week was just, just simply this, that <clears throat> when God shows up, the condition of our heart matters, right? And we talked through the soils and uh, we just had a conversation about that. Everything that we're going to talk about in this series is going to go back to having a soft heart. Now, how do you tune in to God when he speaks and what are the roadblocks that get in our way that keep us from, from really being able to, to move in his direction? That's where we're headed today. And the guy that we're going to talk about today was a champion of faithfulness. When Jesus transfigures on the mountain in Matthew 17, uh, Moses and this guy show up to encourage and, uh, and talk to Jesus. And yet, this guy struggled to hear God and respond well at points in his life, just like you and I do. And that gives me some hope. So the guy we're going to focus on today, he is considered the prophet of the Old Testament. His name was Elijah, and this is kind of a fairly well-known moment in his life. You can find it, uh, the story in 1 Kings 19, if you want to go back and, and read through kind of the, the, whole, uh, the whole story of what's going on here. Here's the context for this encounter, though, that we're going to talk about today. So he's just had 
a, a legendary showdown with a bunch of pagan priests and false prophets uh, who are the favorites of the current king and queen of Israel. Now, the queen's name is Jezebel. She, she is a real piece of work. Um, she is embarrassed at the end of this. Her husband, the king, loses face in front of his people. The priests and gods she worshiped are, are, are mocked by Elijah and, and shown up by God. But the real kicker is, is that she's lost power over her people. So the, the, the people were afraid of her. I mean, they were, they were literally frightened of their lives of her. And so she had a lot of control over the people. Uh, but when God shows up on that mountain and he, he presents himself, the people gain some courage. And so they rise up and, and they put the priests to death. They tear down the idols and she realizes she's lost some power. And so she gets really angry and she sends word out to Elijah that she's made a vow to have him killed within the next 24 hours. Now he goes from this amazing victory to straight up fear. Elijah drops off the map. He, uh, he, he starts to head out into the, into the wilderness. He tells his, his followers, just, you guys stay here. I'm going. I just got to get out of here. She's going to come after me. She's going to kill me. And he runs. He runs away. And he's worn out emotionally, physically. I, I think all of it, he's just, he's just kind of at, he's spent, and he has a breakdown. He finally sits down under a tree, and he looks up at God, and he says, God, just kill me now. I'm done. Elijah's showing some classic symptoms of depression in the midst of this. Even though he just had this massive win, and it would have been amazing. You, you read through that story, go back and read through that story in 1 Kings 19. It would have been amazing to be there, much less to be the guy and yet, and yet, just after that, man, he is, he's gone from the, the mountaintop to the valley. Maybe that's how you feel this week. Maybe, uh, maybe you're having a great day, and then you showed up and went to fill up your truck and got to $100 and 470 a gallon gas. Maybe that bill you weren't expecting showed up. Maybe it hadn't been the best week with your spouse or with your kids or, or at work. I, I don't know. Everybody has had some moments like Elijah where you just finally get to a point where you're just ready to collapse and just go, God, I, I am done. I've had more than I can handle. And I find it interesting that at this point, God does show up to Elijah, but God doesn't say a word. There's no talking involved. Elijah, he, he, he gets to this little, called a broom tree, he gets under, there's just enough shade for him to kind of crawl underneath of this thing. And he crawls under, and he takes a nap, he falls asleep, he wakes up, and water and food have miraculously shown up. So God provides for him. They didn't say anything. It's just something to keep in mind at your house, maybe. Um, this isn't a great theological insight, but when we're stressed out, when we're discouraged, uh, when we're distressed, have you ever noticed that we don't tend to really take care of ourselves very well, even in our most basic needs? So you may keep from strangling your kid or putting a pillow over your spouse's face in the middle of the night, just uh, full-on war, whatever, just by a little bit of a nap and a Snickers bar. So just keep that in mind. So anyway, God, God takes him on a, on a hiking trip to Mount Horeb, and he gets there in the evening, and he finds a cave on the side of the mountain, and again, he, he falls asleep. And he wakes to God's voice. 
God asks him a question. It's a really simple question. Look at it in verse 9 of 1 Kings 19 there. What are you doing here, Elijah? I love it. (laughs) What are you doing here, Elijah? And that's the trigger. (laughs) God shows up and asks Elijah what's wrong. And Elijah lets loose. Let's be careful. If you ever ask your spouse what's wrong, just be prepared. You may get more than you bargained for. Elijah loses it. And, And it's part anger and it's part pity party. Now, one of my big questions is, why does God ask a question that he knows the answer to? God, God knows why he's there. God led him on the hiking trip. God knows exactly why he's there. Well, the answer is the question isn't for God. The question's for Elijah. See, this is the hard reality that I, don't, I struggle with sometimes, and that is this. God only shows up when we're actually ready for him. What do you mean when I'm ready? I'm ready right now. Are you? Are you ready for a confrontation or are you ready for a conversation? Those are two different types of ready. Yeah, it may not be in the time frame or the way you expect, but I promise you this, God will show up. God let Elijah go through that initial struggle. He traveled about 260 miles from Beersheba to, uh, to, to we, we think Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same thing. So about 260 miles from Beersheba to there. Why, why did God let him travel that far, go through all the stuff that he's gone through? Why did he ha- take him on this sojourn through the middle of the desert? Why? Well, it's because it's what Elijah needed. He needed that trip. You know, it's his version of some windshield time. God knows the journey that we've got to go through before we are ready to process, before we're ready to actually find some humility and be ready to respond. Sometimes God isn't showing up in the way that we want him to show up because, simply put, we're just, we're not ready yet. Does that mean he's left us alone? I don't think so. And I can tell you, there's been a bunch of times in my life when I look back and there are moments where I felt like, I was like, God, where are you? And I was wondering if he was really listening. But as I look back now, I see his hand in different things that are going on around me and how he still provided for me. Just like with Elijah, God doesn't abandon us. Often he puts people around us to help minister to us as we go through our journey. We, we go through some things. God is still present in our lives, but we still got to go through some desert space to be ready to have that conversation with him. God asks the question. Again, Elijah erupts. Again, have you ever been in those moments where you've been stewing over something? Maybe it's for days, maybe even months. Some of you may have something that's been eating at you for a couple of decades or more. It's just that, that dominant thing in your mind. It keeps popping back up. And then... You've been holding on to it, but then something happens and you snap and you just can't hold on to it anymore and it just starts coming out. This is where Elijah's at. Here's what he says to God. I am all alone. I've served you with all my life and nobody else does and the world's out to get me. Sound familiar? We've all been there. I remember really distinctly a specific moment in Florida just before I found adventure where I was in my backyard having a very similar conversation with God. 
Elijah's angry. He's angry enough that he needs a, a, a bit of an attitude adjustment. And again, that's something a lot of times we, we all need in those moments. Sometimes that attitude adjustment is a, a friend who calls us on our arrogance or our, our victim mentality or our anger. Unfortunately, I think we've gotten a bit gun shy of that in our culture. We're so scared to be seen as unloving or not empathetic, so a lot of us shrink back from, from delivering sometimes those God messages into other people's lives around us. Do it with love, but man, always be willing to be the friend that speaks truth in and challenges and loves enough to say the hard stuff sometimes. So God challenges him. He gives him some pushback. He reminds him of who he's talking to, not out of God trying to show off, but what Elijah's struggling with in this moment is, again, it's a, it's a thing that we all struggle with at different points in our life, and it's the big question, is God really in control right now? Is God really here? Is he really in control? Is God really omniscient? Is he really omnipotent? Is he really faithful? Look at 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. So this is, this is that encounter. God tells him, go out and stand on the mountain before me. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast, the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. I really appreciate how God handles this. If I were God, which you should be really glad that I'm not God. If I were God, I'd be yelling at him. How dare you, right? How dare you doubt me? He'd do it in an even deeper voice, kind of James Earl Jones-ish. Don't you know everything I do for you? How dare you, puny human, Right? God's challenge and reminder to Elijah is in this awesome show of his control of creation. Can you imagine staying on the, the side of a mountain and, and, and an earthquake shakes the whole thing and this windstorm kicks up and then in the middle of the windstorm, fire comes up in the middle of all of that? That would be awesome. Kind of reminds you that God really is control of things so much bigger than what we're in control of. But notice that really distinct note in there. God didn't speak to him through those shows of power. That wasn't where the dialogue happened. That wasn't the real conversation. That was just to get his attention and give him a reminder. See, that's where I'd speak up. I'd speak up in the middle of the power, power show. Not God. And that's what we want sometimes. We want God to show up in big, loud, miraculous ways. I, I got a call from a church planner a couple of years ago, and he was having an absolute meltdown. He was at a conference for church planners. He'd had some struggles in his plant. He'd been trying to figure out his next steps, and he was, he was at his breaking point. Now, I, I want to be clear. When I say that he was having a meltdown, I... Look, I, I'm not looking down on him for that. I'm not trying to, to make fun of him for that. We've all had those moments. I, I considered a huge uh, honor, a sign of trust that he would call me in the middle of that. But we talked for, I don't know, almost an hour. Probably 40 minutes of that where was just listening to him just rave. And I was trying to figure out what's triggering this. 
Like, where is this actually coming from? He's going on about the conference and the people in it and how it was all fake and just a show and none of the stuff they were talking about really worked and he had tried it all and he'd done all the right things and, and the church plant still wasn't what he expected. He was having an Elijah moment. And I kept pushing him. I just kept probing, trying to figure out what, what is behind this. And finally, I got it out of him. He yelled it into the phone. I came here expecting God to show up and lay out the plan for the next year. He's supposed to show up and tell me what to do, and that isn't happening. There it is. I want God to show up in a big way and just fix it. I want God to show up and just lay out the problem and tell me what to do. And I want God to do it the way I want I want God to tell me what I want to know the way that I want to know it. Again, we've all been there. What does he do with Elijah? After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. After listening to my friend, my only advice was just something that I found to help me. I, I've learned through the years often in my angst and my anxiety, my anger. Man, when those things are high, the noise in my head is just deafening. Like the inner dialogue and just all the static of what's going on, all the feelings and just all the stuff just gets too high. And so I've realized after years, in those moments, I'm not really ready to listen. In those moments with that mind and heart set, you know what? If somebody says anything to do, I, all I'm going to do is argue and push back. I mean, that's just where my heart is in that moment. I just want to argue. I want to I let out all the emotion. I've got all the excuses ready to go. In those moments, I have learned I'm not really ready for God to show up and lead me. Maybe, again, that's what you're feeling right now. Anxious about jobs, the economy, what, got political pundits and media feeding you stuff about whose fault this all is. And let's be honest, if you're not there now, you probably will be at some point in the future, actually, just as soon as you go fill up the next time. <laughs> and we want God to show up in a big way. Right? We want him to speak loudly because our emotions are at an 11. We want God to show up at an 11. My advice to my friend was just simply this. I, I listened to him. Finally, I just I talked to him. I said, look, I, here's my encouragement to you. You can do whatever you want. Go find a corner where there nobody else is and just go sit down and shut up. I tried to say it without being harsh. It's not my best gift. <laughs> Sometimes God's trying to talk to us, but the voices in our head and from the world drowned out his. Again, this is an important realization. God often speaks to us in whispers. Why? You know what I've found in my life? Whispers are actually more powerful than screams. We think yelling is more powerful than a whisper. That's not what I've found. We push back against yelling. You know what yelling gets you? An argument. <laughs> and let's be honest, that's a lot of times what we want. It's what we're looking for in the moment. God asks Elijah the same question twice. Elijah answers with the exact same answer. Here's the answer both times. First Kings 19.10. 
I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel army, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Now, this is totally conjecture. This is just, this is my take on it. I can't prove this biblically. I think, though, while the words in his answer are exactly the same both times, I don't think the way he said it was the same. I think his posture was different, and I have a feeling his tone was different, and I have a feeling the inflections were different. The first time was out of anger and frustration and despair. I have a feeling it was loud and brash. And I think the second time was a bit more humble and maybe with slumped shoulders and maybe even in a whisper himself. You know, you get it out the first time, then the second time it's just, I've been working my heart out for you, God. Yeah? So what do we do? What do we do when God shows up and we're at our wit's end? Well, the first thing I think we can do is deal with the roar. You know, scripture never actually says don't get angry. I find that fascinating. God never flat out just tells us don't be angry. Now, where the anger comes from and, and, and more importantly what you do with it, how it comes out, where you direct it, scripture has a lot to say about that, but it doesn't actually say don't get angry. James 1.20 does say this, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires. You might want to circle human in that one. That's not, that's not addressing the initial feeling of anger, and especially righteous anger. What it's addressing is, is what to do with our anger, even righteous anger. What do we do with it? Holding on to anger meant stewing over it, letting it build and turn into hatred or bitterness. That works completely against what God is trying to accomplish in our lives and in his kingdom. So what do we do with anger or anxiety or fear or panic? One of the things that I've learned is sometimes you just got to let the roar out. Sometimes that means giving it a voice to the right person who can just let you vent and sort through it. Again, when that guy called me, I was honored that he called me. I spent an hour on the phone with him. Just 40 minutes of that were just letting him go. That's fine. It's all right. You know what? Tony's done that for me, and I've done that for Tony. You didn't think Tony ever gets mad? <laughs> Sorry, Tony. I'll let the cat out of the bag. Look, we... That's funny. That, that's funny. If you know Tony and cats. Anyway, all right. We'll leave that one alone. <laughs> that was good. That made me laugh. Like, make sure you got some people in your life who you can do that with. You, ahead of time, go, hey, just so you know, every once in a while, I need to call you, and I just need you to not, like, try to fix anything. Just let me go. Have that conversation ahead of time. Make sure it's not aimed at your family. Why? Because that's often where we vent it to, because they tend to be the safest. That does not help you or your family. Call a brother or sister in Christ. Say, look, I'm angry. I got to get this out. And get it out. Don't make it personal, Adam, but just get it out. And know you can go to God with that anger too. You know, one of the things that I appreciate so much about God is he doesn't operate like us. Again, thank God. 
He knows our struggles and he knows our weaknesses and he loves us through them. Look at Psalm 145.8. The Lord's merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, man, the opposite of us, and filled with unfailing love. So you let that out. What do you do next? Next thing you got to do is quiet the noise down. Look at Job 3.26. I have no peace and no quietness and no rest, only trouble comes. Does that feel familiar? Again, we've all felt this at some point. One of the things I learned about myself back in college was every, there's about a, there's a few times a year, and it seems to kind of come in, it definitely came during semesters. There was one time during the fall and one time during the spring semester, and then usually once during the summer, where I would just get to a point, and I can't even tell you exactly why. I think some of it may be seasonal. Some of it was just the, the different pressures that were kind of on in those different points, but it would just build up to a point, and I could feel it coming, and the more I realized what was happening, the more I could work with it. But I, I just get to a point where one day I would be done. One day, I would just be crushed. One day, I would just, that's it. This is my breaking point. I can't take anymore. And then the next day, once I learned that in that day I was going to break, the next day I could get up and start figuring out, all right, here's how we deal with it. Here's how we move forward. Look, as I get older, I'm finding my body doesn't, re- doesn't respond to stress quite the way it used to. Through the years, I've had to learn a lesson that Jesus knew really well and one that he taught us was of paramount importance. And that is is that Jesus regularly took a Sabbath. Regularly. And it wasn't necessarily just tied to a worship service. Scripture records he would take time to sneak away from the noise of his ministry and from the crowds and even from his disciples and friends and get alone with God to talk to him and just to listen. Psalm 62.5, let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. You know, last year at this time, uh, last year in June, I started a sabbatical. First time in just a bit over 20 years that I'd really taken time off from ministry. And I really needed that sabbatical because I was pretty burned out at that point. But one of the things in, in trying to get ready for that sabbatical, I did a lot of study on what was I going to do with that time and like how, do I, how did I use it well and I'd just try to be responsible with that and get the most out of it. So I did a lot of study before it and, and then in the midst of going through it, one of the things that I realized was we are made, we're designed to need downtime with God and few of us actually do it. We may show up at a worship service, but that's not the same thing as Sabbath. And if you put it off long enough, you'll get it no matter what. (laughs) That's the other thing that I learned. Find some space. Find some time. Man, turn off the news. Turn off social media. Turn off the, the prompts and the alarms and the tones. And seek God humbly and just shut up. Quiet the voices in your head. Listen for the whispers. We just don't do that very much, do we? Most of us aren't good at doing it. It's a learned thing. Third thing, when you, when you start doing that, you'll find some space to take a breath and lower your heart rate down. What do I mean by that? There's a great moment where Jesus is hanging out in a friend's house, and uh, there's two sisters 
and one is sitting and listening to Jesus, and she's just kind of absorbing it all, and she's, she's just eating up the time with him, listening to him teach and dialogue, and the other one is stressed out over all the hospitality details that she thinks are more important. She's cooking supper, and she's got this going on and that going on, making sure everybody's got water, and Jesus has everything that he needs, and she's running around, and she's, she's going a bit nuts, and it is driving her. It's like sandpaper on her skin that her sister's sitting there while she's running around doing all this stuff. To the point, she actually pulls Jesus aside and chides Jesus. And she goes, tells Jesus, look, you need, to get, you need to get on my sister and tell her to come help me because, like, I got important things to do. Here's what he tells her in Luke 10, 41 through 42. My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. One of the ways that uh, my body is not dealing with stress the same way as it used to is my blood pressure now is in some relation connected to my stress. Didn't used to be. I could go through lots of stress. My blood pressure was fine. Not so much anymore as I get older. When you find space, it does little good to go through that space without some self-reflection and some evaluation. I don't know about you, but often the things that keep me being faithful to the opportunities that God has placed in front of me are the distractions that I allow in my life that keep me from getting the most out of having a connection with them. Because those are the things that keep my blood pressure up. Those are the things that keep me stressed out. Those are the things that, that are those little, that static that's going on in my head, the voices that are constantly reminding me of all the things that I need to do all the pressures that I have, all the, all the different pulls that I've got in my life. And I need to get a bigger view of things. I love the way the New American Standard Bible translates uh, Psalm 46.10. Most translations interpret this with something like this, be still and know. But I like the way this does it. There's a little more finality to it. God's actually telling people, quit trying to, to make their own way to happiness and power and success in this passage. And so he, he gets to it and he says this, Psalm 46.10, cease striving and know that I'm God. Not just be still, cease striving. I, there are times where I'm still. That doesn't mean that I'm still not going through all the things, the hamster wheel's not continually going. Sometimes I'm working so hard to move forward that I get going in the wrong direction altogether. Fourth thing, need to humble myself and listen rather than speak. First Samuel, we find uh, the prophet Samuel's biography of sorts. And at this point, he's just a young boy. He's living in the temple. God's talking to him. <laughs> it's in the middle of the night. And he thinks it's actually the priest who is kind of his mentor. And so, like, this kid's young. And he keeps getting out of bed and going to the priest. And the priest is getting ticked off. Which, once I had kids, I understood this passage in a whole new light. <laughs> after telling them to go to bed seven times in a night, I understood where he was coming from. But anyway, so the last time he finally gets it, he goes, look, I'm not yelling for you. It's God talking to you. So this is what I want you to say. Look at 1 Samuel 3.10. This is what the priest told Samuel to answer to God. Speak, I'm your servant ready to listen. This is the key. God's gonna speak. Are you really ready to hear? Took Elijah hundreds of miles of walking. 
and a pretty significant encounter with God before he could get past his feelings, his worries, the anxiety, the distractions, and the anger. Wherever you are, I just really want to encourage you. God is in this with you, no matter what it is. You may not feel it right now. You may be wondering whether he is or not. There might be a lot of static. There might be a lot of pulls on, on your attention. There might be, you might be going nuts right now. You might be like me. I get to that point where it's just, I can't handle it anymore and I'm at my breaking point. Maybe that's where you're at. That's where Elijah was. Let me just encourage you. He hasn't left. He's still in control. He's still speaking. So what can we do? Seek him, quiet the roar, listen. And let me just encourage you that when he speaks, respond. I'm your servant. I'm ready to listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here. We thank you so much for giving us the opportunity just to be able to, to be in your presence. Father, you are God. And you are working. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember that. There's a lot of stresses I know that are represented in this room. There's a lot of people angry. There's some bitterness that's in here. Some anxiety. There's some stress. There's some people who are doing real well, and then there's some people who are at their breaking points. Father, I pray that, pray that you show up. We ask you to show up in our lives. We ask you right now to speak to us. Father, I pray that you'll help us to, to have hearts that are truly ready to listen, though. And if they're not, Father, I pray that you, you walk us through what we need to go through to be able to be there, to be able to simply listen. We're your servants, ready to listen. We love you, Father, and we thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.